Hey there streamers, things have been a little weird this week so I'm gonna try to get through this quickly because I want to wrap this up before any more weirdness starts kicking. Uh, there it is again. What is that? Hello? Hello? Who's there? Come on. Look, I'm trying to do a recording here. Can we do this later? What is this? Hello? Okay, um, this is the bloodstream. You know what, I'm not gonna let any of this strangeness get in the way of the next episode. I got a show to do, so I'm just gonna do it. Welcome aboard, streamers! This week's episode took a bit of a journey to get done since the first movie I sat down to watch for it ended up just not working. I'll talk about it a little bit here, just I watched it, I might as well. It was Ballad in Blood by Ruggiero Diodato, who did Cannibal Holocaust. The trailer looked interesting, the idea sounded fine, and I watched it and I just found myself with absolutely nothing to say about it. Not that the movie's bad, but not great either, it's just there. I might come back around to it at some point, maybe rewatch it and I'll have more feelings about it, maybe I just wasn't in the mood, but for now, I'm shelving Ballad of Blood. Which brings us to this week's movie called Soulless. Not soulless, as in without a soul, solus, S-O-L-U-S. It's a, I believe, Latin word that means alone, and I'll get more into that later. This movie leapt out at me on the name simply because this is a bit of obscure Jason history. Way back in the early 2000s, there was a comic book company called Crossgen, and they put out a book that was also called Solus. It was written by Barbara Kessel, and the art was by comic legend George Perez. For the early 2000s, CrossGen was way far ahead of fan interaction, and they had a message board. You could talk to the creators right there and with other fans at the same time. And they also did this thing where fans would compete to be declared the official number one fan of such and such a property. When Solus was announced, and with the scant information we had at the time, I kind of let the, the opportunity to start campaigning to be the number one fan. And with, for the early 2000s, a pretty good website, I ended up gaining that honor and distinction. And it's still something I hold close to myself all these years later. So when I saw a movie called Solus, and I needed a movie to watch, and this one looked entertaining enough, I decided, yes, this shall be the movie. And now that I've rambled for way longer about myself than I intended, let me talk about this week's show. This movie is a little different. It's fairly short, just under an hour, but since it's largely one person wandering around their apartment, there's really not a lot of dialogue. Almost every clip I grab from the movie is pretty much the entire extent of dialogue in this movie. I think there's a few exceptions, but not many. Since this movie is so light on actual dialogue, I'm gonna be doing a few different things here and there to try to keep things interesting for myself and for you, because you don't want to hear me talking for a half hour straight, I know that. And who knows? If it works out, maybe the different will become the normal? We'll see. 
I'm about to play the trailer for Solus, which is kinda pointless because similar to the movie, the trailer also has no dialogues. Just enjoy a track of music while I take a break, and I'll be back in about a minute. Solus is a movie about a young woman stuck in her apartment and there's just a lot of weird stuff going on. People are appearing, people are disappearing, lights are flickering. It's like her own personal poltergeist. But it's so much more and, and so much less. This movie does not get off to a good start. First it puts up the title of the movie, which as I said earlier, Solus means alone. And after that they pop up another word on the screen, Ignari, which means ignorant, which makes sense. Trust me, these title cards, they do actually end up going somewhere. Nowhere terribly interesting, but somewhere. Once we get past the words on screen phase, Solus opens up on a shot down a hallway in Lorraine's apartment, and it just sits there. Sits there, staring down this hallway for several minutes. After a minute, a solid minute of staring down this hallway, and it finally started to become clear that the movie is slowly fading in a figure as their silhouette becomes clearer and clearer. But then the silhouette fades back away. You literally stare at a door for two straight minutes while essentially nothing happens. Finally, Lorraine, our main character, walks in the front door. So at least there's something there and someone moving and something other to see than the door to her bathroom. She comes in, checks her mail, moves into the next room, and Thank God we follow her, and thankfully there's- and thankfully there's more than the one shot through this entire movie. Oh, and also she walks right by this woman leaning against the wall. Movie, I don't care how washed out you make your scene look, I can still see the person standing there. Lorraine should be able to as well. The figure eventually looks up, and Lorraine walks off into another room, so I guess that's a scene. The movie continues to be packed with thrills a minute as Lorraine sits down to check her tablet and watch some news. There's a science report on the news talking about the successful collision of some Higgs boson particles. And at this point I start fearing, oh no, no no no, is this going to be the plot? Because of the messing with the Higgs boson particles that everyone was so afraid of 10 years or so ago? Is that what's causing these specters to come through? Are they, they some visitors from another world trying to communicate with us now that we've punched into their universe or something? And that was my fear at this point in the movie. And let me tell you, constant listeners, by the end of the movie, I wish that was the plot. Oh, and suddenly there's someone standing on the end table next to Lorraine. 
I don't understand these modern lamps. But of course, Phil had to notice that too, and the weirdness continues when the TV signal suddenly goes out, but not before popping up a scary face. So she ducks behind the television to check out the wiring, as one does in these situations. And as she moves away, she reveals, BOOM! creepy person staring right at the camera. Okay, okay, I know I'm poking fun at them a lot, but I will reluctantly admit that the, the creepiness and atmospherics are starting to get a little unsettling. If I was watching this at night all alone in the dark, I could see being a little creeped out. It's borderline between silly and creepy, and I think they're landing just on the right side of things. But it's gonna depend on your mood and how into the movie you are. But since the TV still isn't working, she decides to head to the kitchen. On her way there, you catch a brief glimpse of a naked man standing in another room. And while I was just saying the creepiness is starting to be effective, at the same time there's this part in the back of my head starting to play Where's Waldo with the movie and going, alright, where the creepy, weird, out of place thing in this scene? Weirdness continues as the lights go out in the kitchen, and it's a really bad effect where they were either just turning on and off the stage lights they had set up to light the scene, or possibly even just someone at the light switch flicking it up and down. But you also see the creepy girl figure creep up behind Lorraine, and she kind of crawls along the floor and then rises up behind her. I suspect the main point of lowering the lights was so you didn't see that, but you really do. Lorraine at least notices the lights flickering, even though she's not seeing any of the people in her house. And she has this look on her face like, how did I get into this movie? She does have the normal thing of fiddling with the breakers and it doesn't seem to do anything. And the Where's Waldo moment of this scene is a superimposed head that suddenly appears in the kitchen window behind her. But since Lorraine can't fix anything in her house, she makes a phone call to her friend and thank God, finally some actual dialogue in this movie. Hey, it's me. There's something wrong with the electricity. Could you come and fix it? I'm busy. Just call the landlord. I don't like talking to the landlord. You know that. Just because you hate people doesn't mean I have to go out of my way to convenience you, Lorraine. Brian, could you please just come fix it? Why don't you call that other guy who's your friend? He's not my friend. He just gave me his number. Okay. Oh, I seriously hope we're not going to sit here for an entire hour watching her sit and wait. I know the runtime of this movie is less than an hour, but it would somehow find a way. To kill time while waiting for her friend, for lack of a better term, Lorraine goes to take a shower, we watch her get undressed, she stares in the mirror, and while she stares in the mirror, her reflection starts to spit up blood and make bleh noises, which, again, they're going for creepy but missing the mark. But either she fails to notice the blood or she was doing it deliberately and walks away, finally getting in the shower, and Roxanne turns on her red light and we see hands pawing at the shower curtain trying to be spooky. It's considerably less spooky when the only other person in the entire movie is not noticing it whatsoever and we're just watching her go about her day. But at the same time, you could get into the headspace where picturing yourself as Lorraine just going around your house late at night, not knowing what other spirits are there and I could see that being an effective spookiness factor. After the shower, Lorraine grabs a nap, and I'm woken up by a loud knock on the door, so her friend Brian has shown up, finally. So there's two voices 
in this movie for a brief period of time. She explains what's going on with the lights flickering, the TV turning itself off, and she actually says the oh-so-well-written line, the TV turned itself off by itself. No. Well, anyway, turn it off. It is off. Brian's a world-class jerk. He doesn't want to be there. I don't even know why he's bothering, and they kind of dance around the fact without actually coming out and saying it that Lorraine is agoraphobic, which, well, explains why she's in her apartment the whole time and not noticing anything. Brian wanders off to do whatever to fix whatever, and we watch Lorraine wander around the apartment some more because we haven't had enough of that, and she eventually settles down to play at her Casio keyboard until the closet door behind her falls off the hinges with a loud bang. This she actually finally notices because that's kinda hard to let go. She calls out to Brian who has somehow escaped from the movie, he's the smart one, and she must hear the same creepy music we do because there's no other reason for her to be suddenly creeped out and go investigatoring. She wanders around some more and sees the TV is on. Good thing it turned on that TV, Lisa. I didn't turn it on, I thought you turned it on. And on the screen is a man in a suit, but his head is on backwards because we need more weird visuals in this movie. There's a moderately audible noise outside. She looks out the window and it turns out to be the quietest car crash in the history of cinema. She calls out to Brian and since we're actually getting some dialogue, I'm gonna throw in a short clip. Brian? Brian, there's a car crash, it's just outside. I think, I think someone's hurt out here. While Lorraine calls for help, we start to see a woman floating outside her window. So she either has vampires, or more likely just a spirit from someone who died in the car crash. The movie never gets around to explaining that, the point of the crash, the person outside the window, who they are, not a lot of explanations are forthcoming, get you to it. And a lot of this is all happening behind Lorraine while she's on the phone. The person appearing in the window, the weird backwards newsman, and there's even a bonus lighting stand that you can see in the reflected in the picture frame. But finally, finally the girl turns around. Once again, a movie makes me pause and recollect myself. Because Lorraine finally sees this stuff going on. And the face she makes, her reaction, is so absurd. And it finally clicked on me what it reminded me of. If you've spent enough time on the internet, you've probably seen this moment and not realized what it's from. I'm going to, to try and describe a bit from Italian Spider-Man, where you see this guy with big hair, sees something, and he just has this weird kind of goofy reaction where he kind of shakes and stares, and now I doubt this is what happened, but if the director had actually said to her something along the lines of, when your character turns around and finally sees these apparitions, I want you to make the face from an Italian Spider-Man, that would have been kind of brilliant, but I suspect this was not deliberate. On the upside, at least Lorraine is finally seeing this stuff, and maybe in all her wandering we can stumble into a plot somewhere. Naturally, in her freakout, she falls backwards against the wall. She starts to slowly creep along the wall to get out of the room without taking her gaze off the window ghost, which may well be the smartest thing I've seen a person do in such a situation. Try to get away, keep your eyes on whatever you're seeing. But the movie doesn't want to show the entire extent of her crawling all the way along the back wall of the room, so she suddenly translocates herself from one side of the room to the other. There's an editing hack job where they just 
jump from one side of the room to the other. They could have at least cut away to something, you know, she's staring off at the ghost, and as she started to crawl away, you see it a little bit, cut to the ghost, cut back, she's most of the way across the room. Easy as that. Simple filmmaking. But she keeps crawling, and we see a figure standing there before she does, but she does eventually notice it, and he's naked. Except for the sack on his head. Damn it, Jason, put some clothes on. But again, at least she's noticing these things, and she goes from just trying to get away to actively screaming because there's a naked man with a sack on his head in her house, so she screams, she runs away, and heads to the attic. Because that's safe. And once she's in the attic, curled up into a tiny ball of nope, the movie pops up another word which this time is conscia, which means aware. I see what you did there, movie. The first part of the film is titled Ignari, when she has no idea what's going on, and then once she becomes aware, it's conscia. I kind of want to give it points for that. Eventually, Lorraine grabs her phone, puts it up to her ear, and asks, What do I do? Well, first of all, maybe you had a phone to actually call someone. I mean, he didn't even say the wake word. At least I go, Siri, what do I do? You literally just asked a piece of glass, what do I do? I don't think it's going to help much unless you take further actions. Naked Sackman comes along to push a cardboard box at her with his head. I don't know. But sir, you are not a cat. Stop playing with a cardboard box. You do not fits. You do not sits. After he deposits the box and crawls away, and Lorraine opens the box. She finds a broken, burnt, bloody baby doll. It's really hard to tell since the scene is filmed in black and white and in deep darkness in the first place. But anyway, I'm gonna go with burnt, so it's a burnt up doll, has an eyeball for a belly button, and she finds a message on the box that says, Tickle me. Nuh-uh. Nope. No, no, no. No! All the nope in the world! What's going on? I don't understand. What? Call Nathan! 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 Oh shit, the baby has Lojack, the cops are on their way, and you have no idea with all that Call Nathan chanting how much I wanted to add an unsa 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 beat to it. I'm still tempted and might do it later. So Lorraine does as the creepy baby says and calls Nathan, who turns out to be the friend that Brian mentioned earlier that she got the phone number of and was a guy she apparently liked. And the call is so frenetically hilarious and there's not much else in the movie so I'm just gonna drop in another clip. Recently, and you, you gave me your number. Where are you? Jesus Christ! You have to help me! Help me! I, I, I don't. Help! Where are you? Help! I, I'm, I'm home. I'm home. I, I don't know if I can help you. What's the address? Address? The address! What is it? What is it? 34 Civic Street. Where are you? 
After she hangs up, she sees the girl specter again and... Oh, oh Christ. You know that thing movies do to be creepy and weird that became really popular after Jacob's Ladder? Where the actor will move all quickly and weirdly, and they'll blur it and post or something to make it seem inhuman? Yeah, the girl does that here, but they can't actually be asked to do the final step of processing it, or simply don't know how to do it, or possibly even the budget to do it. So all you get is just the actress walking twitchily and jerkily, and it looks hilarious. We watch the Twitch fest for a while as the girl chases Lorraine around the house, until Lorraine finally gets behind the door and slams it shut, sparing all of us from dying with laughter. But she's not safe, of course, as she at first sees the man with his head on backwards on the TV, but then notices the broadcast is also coming from inside the room. Yes, that's right, he's in there with her. And he starts walking towards her, and the illusion of having his head on backwards starts to fall apart so, so very quickly. Because you're looking at it and start to realize it's just a guy with his shirt and coat on backwards and tie. That's the only thing that's off about it. You know, the hands aren't backwards, that he's walking backwards towards her, but the feet are pointing, you know, in the normal direction with the face. It's just, he's wearing his coat backwards. And still, they almost, almost could have gotten away with it. But they have the figure pause, turn around, and lean over in a perfectly normal way, except he's wearing his jacket on backwards. It could be creepy, but all it does is accentuate that he's wearing a jacket backwards. Great beasties, what's happened to his head? It's on backwards. This is terrible. Do something. I'm sorry, sir. There must have been a microconverter malfunction. Why didn't somebody tell me my ass was so big? They're trying so very hard, but just don't have the means to pull off what they really want to. They've proven that with two rapid-fire scenes now. The twitching in this. And let me tell you, every time we've seen this guy, I've been quietly hoping if they're going to actually have this guy say any lines. If they're going to give us that gift of speech with this guy. Please, please, I beg of you. Please do a bad version of the backwards Twin Peaks talking. And they finally have him speak. And I am not disappointed. Well, I am, but not for this reason. And here's the next clip. Who are you? Who are you? What do you want from me? Yankee Yes! God, it's so terrible, but I love it! They did it! So yeah, she talks with the weird creepy guy, hears the knocking, follows it, runs into Brian as her house suddenly becomes a rave with flickering lights again. He shouts and disappears, and I just randomly have a question at this point. The biggest mystery in this movie is all around this apartment there is evidence of owning a cat, but we never see the cat. What happened to the cat? That's gonna bug me more than anything else in this entire movie. After Brian disappears from the clip, Lorraine starts to hear singing, follows that because there's nothing else to do, and she finds Twitchy is the source of the song. She has 
Brian badly duct taped to the wall. Look, that's kinky, but that is not the movie I signed up for. But at least it's interesting as Twitchy pulls out a knife and hacks her way into Brian's arms. And there's absolutely no blood since she's basically hacking through probably foam, so I feel kinda cheated. Right up until the point where Brian turns to the camera, starts screaming, and it comes out as a loud cry of a baby. That, that actually made me jump. For all the wrong reasons, but at this point I'll take a freaky jump scare. It cuts away briefly to Lorraine's horrified face, and then back to where Brian was, but he's gone. He escaped from the movie again. It did leave behind his shirt hanging between the severed arms. Again, it's this weird mix of really creepy and unsettling, but the more you look at it, the more you realize how silly it is. After a few more cuts to Lorraine and back, even those are gone, leaving the girl only accompanied by her shadow. Possibly the scariest thing so far. She heads to the kitchen to sob for a bit, as any normal person would be doing at this point. We see behind her in the bathroom, naked Sackman is strung up in the shower with his guts hanging out. She approaches the guy with a knife, and I think he's had enough of those at this point, but it's at least a smart thing to do. So she stabs the guy with the knife to put him out of this movie's misery and backs away. You can't even remove the sack? We've had this creepy mystery figure wandering around your house with a mask on the entire time. It feels like it should be a mystery as to what's, who it is, what's going on, but no, the movie doesn't care about that and moves on. She finds the backward newsman in the next room and, oh, thank God, another clip. Why aren't you hurting me? We are hurting you. And I agree, they are hurting her. Not physically, not with knives or cutting off her limbs or stabbing out her guts or anything like that. But they're screwing with her head and that's making her more unhinged. And that qualifies as hurting, just not in a physical sense. Lorraine continues to wander around the darkness even more and the lights briefly come up to reveal Twitchy standing in her closet. And I assume it's Twitchy because one, the character is in a different dress and now she's wearing the sack on her head. Why? I don't know. I'm not going to explain it. The movie doesn't bother to explain it. It happens. But it might be time for another title card to pop up, this time with the word Desolationist, which in this case means abandonment. After that, the movie literally, 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 not exaggerating, spend four solid minutes on a close-up of Lorraine's face. As the light slowly fades from pure black to very bright white washing out everything, Lorraine finally wakes up or whatever and wanders around the white nothingness, because there hasn't been enough wandering so far, and looks at all the nothing that's around her. You know what would have been scarier than nothing? What? Anything! While the stunning lack of anything is frustrating, I do appreciate the art of everything being white, and all you can see is Lorraine's dark hair and a few facial features floating through this sea of blinding white nothingness. Again, someone else that can do the floating head and nothingness bit better than demons at the door. Lorraine finally comes across something in all this nothingness in the form of someone wrapped up tightly in a bloody sheet. But at least whoever is in the sheet starts talking so I have something I can use for a final clip. You are lost. Am I not supposed to be here? No one is supposed to be here. doing this to me. Yankee Rose. The other one. You treated him different. Each is different. Why have I not been hurt? 
I'm trapped. No. I am trapped. The apartment, I can't get out of it. The door, Lorraine. You haven't even tried to open the front door. got to be shitting me. Is this where this movie is going? Is this all about her confronting her agoraphobia? Don't ghosts have anything better to do than to play Mori Povich confronting people with their worst nightmare? Fuck! And I hate that it actually makes the ghost wanting her to call Nathan, someone she apparently liked, and encouraging her to get out of the house more, actually makes sense in this situation. And another thing, the ghosts keep mentioning Yankee Rose, and that's one of many, many things that are never explained in this movie. I actually was so frustrated at that one plot point, I went online to look it up. It doesn't mean anything, outside of two references. One, it's a reference to a couple of songs which probably have nothing to do with this, and the only other real thing it is, Yankee Rose is the final two words of the Satanic Bible, so every time Lorraine asks why are you doing this, and they say Yankee Rose, are they basically saying we're doing it for Satan? Satan is trying to cure Lorraine of her agoraphobia? What? That doesn't make any sense at this point. So she gets tossed out of the void into her bedroom. She slowly wanders around the house. She slowly walks past the backwards newsman, who doesn't keep an eye on her because his head's on backwards. And she tries the front door. Yes, the great means of escape was just walking out the front door. There's genuinely something there. Th there's something to explore with the idea of she's not trapped in the house by the spirits, she's trapped in there completely by herself. But why did the ghost care? I like the idea. The justification just is not there. She heads outside, she stares down her front stairs, and even the ghosts are getting frustrated with this at this point because the girl is just standing there looking down the stairs, and eventually Twitchy appears and just loudly shouts, GO! Yeah, please, get on with it! She may also have pushed Lorraine down the stairs, but that wasn't entirely clear. It could have just been the scream that spooked her to fall down the stairs. Which, if these ghosts, if their whole entire purpose of being is to get the girl outside the house, all they had to do was push her down the stairs, why not just hurl her out the door in the first place? I guess you could argue, you know, it had to be her choice, but then why shove her down the stairs? And also, what comes next? This is Lorraine's home. Will the ghost let her back in? Will they say, Oh no, you haven't been outside long enough, you're still agoraphobic. Doesn't work that way. If they do let her back in, and it comes time to get groceries, will they start shouting at her again because she had to go pick up milk? But finally the movie ends as Lorraine basically runs away from her house down the street and disappears never to be seen by any of us again. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. Like I said, there's genuinely a germ of a good idea here. I like the idea and the metaphor of not being trapped by the ghost, but by herself. And I do like the arty feel of it and the atmosphere if you start to get into it, but it's a push and pull of are you into the creepy or are you making fun of it? And I bounce back and forth on that. 
overall, I just see a, a mess of an idea trying to be pretentious and deep and, and missing that mark so, so much. And personally, I'm kind of going along with the explanation here that Go ahead normally are trying to get people to leave the house, but since they have no idea how to handle this situation, they're basically using their normal old tricks when all they had to do was ask nicely. And that pretty much wraps up my thoughts on the movie. It's uh, a bit of a mess. It's an entertaining mess in, in ways. I can't decide if that's if it's good ways or bad, but and that's pretty much all I have to say about Solus. Get out. Oh, come on. What do you guys want? Go outside. Do I have to? I'm, I'm comfortable here. I, I want to finish up my recording. Get some sunlight. Well, it has been a while since I've been outside. And fresh air. It is a pretty nice day out. You're not looking well. No, you've got a point. I'll finish this up and then I'll go outside, run some errands, and do some stuff. See, Solus, that's all it takes. Just a little bit of politeness. No need to scare and threaten. Just act nicely. Thanks for listening to The Bloodstream. You can find us on Facebook and iTunes. You can subscribe, leave us a review there if you want. You can also find us at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. There's a section of Triscadeca files where I post the episodes. And if you've got any suggestions for movies or things I can do with the show, if you like me dropping in clips from other stuff in this episode, tell me how you what you thought of that, and you can either do that on Facebook or shoot me an email at phoenixfoenix at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and keep streaming.
worry. <laughs> Get a lonely hurt. A lot. <laughs>